gosh, here we are for another dose of positivity. And you know, I am going to have to uh, figure out how many episodes we have done because uh, I think we're that we're almost at a full year, which is super exciting. But I want to welcome everybody to this ap- episode oh. where we are all breaking up with diabetes. I just want to welcome everybody who is here on the live show today. Thank you so much for carving time out and being with us here for another dose of positivity. And I also want to welcome all our new participants, all of you humanitarian solutionists and social and environmental innovators to another episode of A Dose of Positivity where I simply have the amazing privilege and honor to interview these passionate change makers and thought leaders and wellness professionals. And today is such an exciting episode. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I have the great privilege of interviewing Dr. J. Alina uh, Shah. And she is gonna be talking with us on how to break up with diabetes, especially type two or pre-diabetic. So if you uh, are have any of those signs or symptoms or are or know somebody who is, I would just go ahead and message them right now and have them come on to the show because they won't wanna miss it. And while we're waiting for people to come in, I wanna remind everybody this is a live broadcast. You'll have the opportunity to raise your hand if you wanna come on live, ask a question or share a story. And also if you're shy, just go ahead and put your message right there in the chat or your question and we will uh, address it during this one hour dose of positivity. And before I introduce Dr. Jaylena Shah, I wanted to, uh, as people are entering into the room and we're waiting for people to come in and thank you everybody who's coming in right now. It's so good to see you. Um, I'm going to read a uh, couple little sections from this book right here. This is a, um, my, my third book that I published, Conscious Cures, and you'll notice it says Solutions to 21st Century Pandemics. And I wrote this book to help people uh, and myself understand the root cause of why we have these viruses, why we have these health pandemics. And I address six different other pandemics. The environmental pandemic is one, because without the environment, we have nothing. We don't get sick because we can't live without the environment. So I addressed the environmental pandemic first, food drug, uh, food and drug, which we're going to be talking about, which I'm going to be reading out of today, fear, media, consp- and conspiracy, inequality, uh, economic pandemic, and the economic pandemic. And you guys, we had a lot to clean up. And these are human-made pandemics that are creating a lot of sickness and disease in our society. And humanity is now rising, and that's a lot of what we'll be talking about today. So what I'm going to be reading right now is out of the food and drug pandemic um, in this book. And this is the cost of big ag and, and big pharma and the industrial food complex. It may cost more to raise food responsibly and consume real food, but would you rather suffer the consequences of living on a toxic planet in an unhealthy body? The average household pre-COVID was stressed about how they could earn enough money to buy food and medicine. During this escalating pandemic, stress has increased along with illness and health costs. 
mass-produced unhealthy foods grown and produced by the industrial food complex usually costs less than buying healthy, unpackaged, unprocessed foods. We get what we pay for. We have gotten used to paying less for food, or is this another deception? Feed the farmer now or the pharmaceutical companies later. Our tax dollars subsidize big ag, so our food actually our actual costs get hidden. The destructive systems which dish out low quality food and cultivate food and cultivates political, environmental, social inequality, and economic pandemics. All have the government stamp of approval. Here's the harsh reality. The same companies that produce the chemicals, inputs, fertilizers, the herbicides and pesticides to grow food also own food manufacturing plants and pharmaceutical companies. Only 10 companies control almost every large food and beverage brand in the world. Consider this. At the beginning of the 1900s, Americans spent about 30% of the income on food, and now we spend about 7 to 8% of our income on food. That's less than almost any other country. We have deval devalued our food system, and in the process, our health and the health of the planet. Hence, diabetes is on the rise, health costs are escalating, and people are getting fed up, and people are coming for more positivity. And the, what we're going to be talking about a lot today is taking control of our own health. So, I don't think I'm going to read anymore because Dr. J. Um, Jelena um, has so much to offer and I want to hear from you guys and we want to hear from you guys because Dr. J. Uh, Lena, who is a doctor of pharmacy, she was a pharmacist for years, um, she approaches diabetes very differently than the average doctor, medical profession, even a lot of naturopaths. She not, not only does she address the medications and the health risks associated with diabetes, but she also focuses on the root cause by attending to the emotional and the mental aspects of this chronic escalating disease. She's helped hundreds of patients sustain low blood sugars, lose weight, and taken fewer medications so that they can live their happiest and healthiest lives. And we will have all of her links inside the chat. And so Dr. Jaylena, I just am so grateful that you're here. She's also a dietitian. So if you have questions about that, um, I want you all to feel open-hearted. We're in a safe space although it is live streaming, so I'll keep that in mind. Um, but would you please start off by telling us a little bit about your background and uh, where you came from and how you became so passionate about this work that you do, honey? Well, 
Yeah. I just want to clarify, I am not a dietitian, but I do have a doctorate in pharmacy. So I am well-versed in all things medicine for sure. Um, but I became passionate about this because I was actually 65 pounds heavier myself. I have a dad that has diabetes. I have uncles that have diabetes. I even have an uncle that passed away due to complications related to diabetes. So this runs in my family. This is not anything new. I was at the doctor's office. I was sitting there and the doctor comes in, she's shaking her head and she looks at me and she goes, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when you're going to have diabetes. And I remember sitting there and my heart dropped into my stomach and I was like feeling completely overwhelmed. I felt so much shame and guilt because I was like, I knew I wasn't eating the way I was supposed to. I knew I was a little more sedentary than I should have been, but I had no idea that this was the path I was going down and how easily it was to get down that path. And on top of that, it was so overwhelmed because I was like, I don't know even where to start. And all she left me with, the doctor, I mean, she, you know, most of my physicians that I've even worked with, it's like they have 10 or 15 minutes. And she was just like, okay, well, I just need you to eat healthier and exercise more. And I was out the door and I was like, what does that even mean? What, mm -hmm. what does that even mean? So I ended up doing what a lot of people do. I went to um, Dr. Google. And I started typing in like, what do I do? How do I lose this weight? How do I not get diabetes? And Dr. Google has lots of really contradictory information. So <laughs> yeah, I was very lost for a moment and I ended up landing on a plan that was promoted by the government at the time, which what, cause I was like, oh, it's the government. They're gonna, you know, have what's supposed to be safe. And it's like this low fat, low calorie diet. And I'll tell you, I did lose some weight. I'm not gonna tell you that I didn't lose any weight. I did lose some weight, but I I was, at, at least when I first went to the doctor and I re received this news, I, I will tell you I was, I would like to call it fat but full. At least I was full. Now I'm still overweight at, at this, further down the road, I'm still overweight, but I was always hungry, always hungry. And I was having the most difficult time managing my weight, managing my hunger and trying to figure out how do I not get diabetes, even though I'm doing everything that's supposedly this, like healthy. And so it was from that, that I started to do some research. I, I had a friend that had lost all this weight and she'd come into book club and she's 60 pounds lighter and she's drinking all the wine and eating all the cheese. And I was like, what? like, what is happening? What did you do? I want that life. Like, I can't even look at that stuff. And, yeah. and she, she told me, she was like, Hey, listen to this podcast. And I started to do my own research. I, because I have a background in medicine and in, in terms of like pharmacy, I understand how the body works and I understand studies. And I started to do my own research and I was like, this is very interesting. Like what's being put out there in mainstream media isn't what is a hundred percent correct. Right. We see a lot of things called clickbait. They, it's like they'll put out some information that sounds entertaining and it's sensationalized, but it doesn't paint the full story. And a lot of times there are people that are lobbying and, and you know, they're activists and not activists, they're lobbying for, for certain products to go forward. And it's not giving us the full picture of what's what it's actually doing to our bodies.
and and what it's doing to ourselves and our health and it wasn't until i started to grasp an understanding of what was happening to me physiologically biology that i wasn't then i was able to make changes and from there i started to understand why the food i was putting into my body mattered how it was participating inside my system and then the the last piece of it the most important piece that we don't get to is how my mindset also was playing into it. my thoughts about food how i was approaching food why i was approaching food in a certain way which is i think a big gap in things because in modern day medicine i think we focus or hyper fixate on tunnel vision we we like will focus on just you know concentrating on a disease or concentrating on a bacterial infection or a virus or a sprained ankle which is great in those situations but when we talk about chronic disease we have to look at the entire person you have to look at their psychological their spiritual and their social factors because all of these things play a piece into our whole body this is why i believe in being a holistic practitioner we have to address all of these sides of us cuz we can't just compartmentalize these things we are a whole person our mind our body our spirit all of this plays into our health whether we want to admit it or not and we see that most often with chronic disease so as you can tell i'm super passionate i love it i love it i'm i'm like i'm just like bouncing off the walls i'm ready to ask you a million questions but i think it's so important that you know people feel and sense that passion about what you're doing because you're obviously not 65 or 45 or 25 pounds overweight you like seem like a little on the shy standing side now <laughs> You know, you're looking beautiful. Um, you're, yeah, and and so one of the things that, well, well, a couple of things I want to backtrack. Like, how did you get into the the whole pharmaceutical and be, get a PhD in pharmacy? And how how did did getting that and being in that world for so many years? How have you shifted to where you are today? Thank you for asking that. Yeah, 15 years in healthcare, and you know, I started when I was a little girl. You know, also I have parents that are Indian. So I wanted to tell you that my Indian parents were like you need to make sure you do something that's like considered prestigious, which is like being a doctor is prestigious. And when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a teacher or a doctor. And so I was actually initially doing pre-med and anyway, it just I was like I don't know if I want to be a doctor. I didn't feel like I had enough access to people. So I knew that being a pharmacist was a way to do that and the classes I was taking I just was so fascinated with medications and how the body worked and what you know medications do to the body. And so I applied to go to pharmacy school and my entrance exam because we practice Ayurvedic medicine in the house was I believed even at that time more than 15 years ago I believed that there is a place for both eastern and western thoughts. and there needed to be a way to marry the two. I do believe there's a time and place for western medicine. The mm -hmm. the technology that's out there and what's available to us is so great in allowing us to live a very like longer life or a more like a better quality of life, but we cannot negate what eastern medicine has presented and there is again a holistic approach. So I just believe in marrying the two from a very young age. So that's so I got into this and I started to realize that medications although they do have a place, I have a healthy respect for them, but I also have a healthy fear. 
I know what is on the other side. You take certain medications, just like anything you ingest that's foreign to your body, there is the, the possibility of a side effect. There is a possibility of something not doing or working the way that you want it to, whether it's an allergy. I mean, people have peanut allergies. It doesn't need to be medication necessarily, but it's, it's just that anytime we ingest something, we have to keep in mind the effect it's having on our entire system. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you're bringing that up because I do have like some friends, you know, who will resist any kind of Western at, at all. And, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty much the 80, 20 rule. Like I will go for, if I, if I have a really severe infection or I know, you know, go to the emergency room and they say, you have got to take this antibiotic or you're going to go into, you know? And so, but you know, you kind of, you kind of went from like all in to the pharmaceutical world, right? And you were pushing pills, like I was pushing sugar at my bakery, um, to like backing off from that and kind of changing this approach, um, with your clients and, and who you work with and how they're, you're actually helping them break up with, with diabetes. So let's get specific on that. Some of the things that you how you guide people to to wean them off medications even get them off completely if possible some people you can't but let's talk about that weaning process and then let's talk about you know how how like you say bridging the two and then possibly getting off all of them like i i'm i'm not on any medications and i'm 65. so i and i and i every time my husband i go to the doctor he's not on any either they're like where wait where's your your list of medications and it's like we don't have one why do you and you know you what what is you know like there's something wrong with me because i'm not taking medication so um i want people to feel comfortable if you are taking medication to realize well you know there are things you can do that maybe at least you wean yourself from 50 percent and maybe a hundred percent so how do you how do you do how do you deal yeah. with that so you know i like i said i think there's a healthy place to be like some people actually do need medication like people with type 1 diabetes it's a means of survival their body is not creating insulin so they need that so it's just recognizing where you are in your personal health journey is the first thing is is the first thing i have people know is that is it impossible to be off of meds no but it just depends on where you are in your health journey it may be better for you personally to have some medications but there are things that you can do to try to get off of them so that you optimize your body's ability to heal itself. So one of the things I did is I worked specifically with people with type two diabetes that was very uncontrolled. Like I was basically the last step before they ended up at the endocrinologist, which is the, the specialist. And they would come to me and the premise was at my old job, cause I was a, I was a pharmacist. I, I mean, I'm still technically a pharmacist, but I, they were coming cause they were like, we need you to titrate their insulin, get their insulin levels where it needs to be and make sure they're, they're on the right meds. But they were coming to me and I was realizing that what I had done with myself, there was a real thirst of knowledge of people wanting to know what was happening in their bodies. So first I teach them, I educate them and make them aware of what's happening what the difference is between the different types of diabetes and what's happening in their body. And I'll get to that in a second, but to answer your question, then I talked about how we address like the nutrition piece, 
And then the third piece is the mindset. And it's why are we choosing to eat the way we are choosing to eat? For me, I had made food a friend for the longest time. Food was a friend. It was always there for me, always provided comfort. And no matter how I was feeling, it was it was there for me. So it was like, I'm having a bad day. I'm really stressed out. So for me, sweets were my, my downfall. That's me just for me personally. Yeah, so I would like go and grab, like I want a cupcake. And I didn't even care. I would drive to the store to get a cupcake. These are how bad my cravings were. I, would, I wouldn't have them in the house because I knew I would eat it. But the days that things were so bad and I'm like, I deserve this. I deserve this because I had such a bad day. And I would drive to the store, I would get a cupcake and I would start to eat it. And I would feel so good for a moment. And biologically what's happening, to be fair, mm -hmm. is your body, every time you eat a carbohydrate, your body releases a hormone from your brain called dopamine. It's a pleasure hormone. This hormone, that moment of you feel, how many of us have sat at the table on a, pile of bread that hot bread comes to the table and you put the butter on and people's mouths are watering now mine is and you put it in your mouth in that moment of euphoria that moment of euphoria is so real and the same thing happened every time i bit into that cupcake because what was happening was a hormone was being released called dopamine and dopamine is a, a pleasure hormone it gets released when we do shopping gambling you know sex recreational drugs all the fun stuff in life that hormone trust and believe that's what's being released mm -hmm. so for those few moments i was in bliss i was eating that cupcake and i was in bliss but here's the trick food is not your friend it's a loan shark and i say it's a loan shark because what happens is a few minutes later I'm still feeling like crap because I'm still stressed out from whatever the reason was that I ate that cupcake in the first place. But now I have compounded interest because now I'm feeling guilty. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling guilty for eating something that I knew wasn't nourishing my body. Yeah. And so it's recognizing some of those patterns that that made me realize like, oh, my brain is doing this every time. And so instead of giving into what my 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 brain is saying is like feels good. And, and just instead of recognizing, I take a beat now and I'm like, what, why do I really want this? Maybe I need to call someone. Maybe I yeah. need to like get a hug. Maybe I need to go on a walk with my dog. Maybe I need to journal or take a minute to meditate. And it's realizing why am I really eating this? That was one component. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's understanding that stuff and really getting to the root of, diabetes in my opinion is very personal every person struggles in a different place every person's obstacles are different with diabetes and it's it's trying to figure out like what is it that that makes you behave in the way that you are because it it's not rocket science we all know broccoli is better for you than a cupcake we all yeah. know that but why do we continue to choose to eat a cupcake over eating the broccoli and it's not only because it tastes good it's not only because of that that's a part of it but it's not the only reason Oh, you, you know what? This is so great. And, and I'm going to have to just take a little pause here because I want to make sure that um, Taylor Meredith put in Joan Eflock's information of the, the link to her um, interview that we did a couple of weeks ago about being addicted to processed food. It, it's phenomenal in the work that she's done about everything that you're just saying is very supportive of uh Jaylena's what what she's saying and she goes into the science of it really important and then I also just um wrote a blog 
um, I want to put that in the chat too because if you haven't re read that blog or gotten it yet, you, you guys are going to want to read it. There's some really good statistics. But one of the most important things, it's right in the chat. More than 37 million Americans have diabetes. That's about one in 10. And approximately 90 to 95 percent of them have type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is a product of our society. It's a product of what I was reading to you all at the beginning in Conscious Cures, and I really encourage all of you to read this book. It's full of information to help us break this cycle, that this everything that Jaylena is talking about, this mindset. This is the, uh, the mind F-U-C-K, that, that we have all been dished out by the unsustainable, unattainable American dream that has brainwashed us into a system of feeding the corporations that are giving us all this incredible bacteria and viruses and putting us out of whack. So the thing that I love about what you do and what you, you're talking about is bio-individuality. You look at each person differently. You look at what their chronic addiction is, whether it's gambling, sex, you know, co cocaine or cupcakes. And, and you, you just say, let's get to the root cause of this. So, but part of getting to the root cause of this, you guys, is to realizing that you're not alone. Yeah. One in every 10 person. So you go into a party or you go anywhere and, and it could be one in every five people if you're hanging out with an unhealthy crowd. Oh no, one in five don't even know they have the diabetes. And let me give you an even more staggering statistic. One in three have pre-diabetes, which yes. is the precursor to diabetes. So they don't even know that they're on their way to diabetes. Yeah. And 80% of those people don't even know it. And that it's was me. I'm pre-diabetic, but not anymore. <laughs> not anymore and i'll tell you what i'm doing but i want to get back to what you were talking about alan what are you laughing about uh um, anyway i i want to get back to kind of what that originally we were talking about is just like when you work with people like hey you know you're identifying with someone you know they're okay they're a porn addict or or they're a cupcake addict or whatever so you meet them where they're at but how do you wean them off these medications? And how, because type two diabetics, we don't have to be, or pre-diabetic, don't have to be on medications. There, there's no there's no reason. It's all dietary, it's a mindset, it's exercise. Don't need to. Yeah, all of those things help. I think it just depends on how much damage has been done. Um, so we talk about something called insulin resistance. So if I could just take a moment to explain really quick the difference between type one and type two diabetes in a normal body. So there's an analogy out there by Dr. Jason Fong, and I love this analogy, but the one thing we need to know overall in general, all food, no matter what it is, turns into sugar in the body, all of it. So diabetes is, we know we talk about sugars a lot in the body, but I want to really emphasize that all food turns into sugar in the body. And the reason for that is all of our cells, our organs, our bloodstream, the easiest way we can get energy is from sugar. So all food turns into sugar. So if you picture that all your cells in your bodies are like little trains and all food turns into sugar. So all sugar is like the passengers that are trying to get on the train. We need a conductor. We need somebody to open the train doors and direct traffic. And that is going to be the hormone insulin. 
So insulin is the conductor. It, it helps get the, the sugars or the passengers on the train and directs them where to go. So we know exactly where they need to be. So in a healthy body, the, the conductor comes to work. He's happy to be there, opens the doors, shuttles the people in, they go where they need to go. Type one diabetes, the reason why you need exogenous insulin. They don't have conductors. No one's showing up to work. So the trains are leaving empty. They're leaving and all the passengers are left on the platform. So this is why you need insulin for those people. Type two diabetes and prediabetes. What happens is, is your conductor, he hasn't been given a break for like 20 years. He hasn't been on vacation. He's real tired. He starts like, you know, that disgruntled employee that's like kind of half opening the door, like barely doing his job. He didn't care to be there anymore. He's like, why, why am I here? And there are so many passengers. There are so many passengers trying to get on the trains. Even if he tries to open the door, he is trying to push whoever. The trains are so full, by the way, the, these trains are so full that he's trying to push more people on. They, they just don't fit. So this is what's happening in our body is like the, the conductors are, they're burnt out and there's not enough room on the trains. So the easiest way to help alleviate the need for medication is to be very cognizant of your rush hours. How many people are trying to get on the train? We need less people on the train. So to do that, you have to be careful about what you eat and, and a rush hour situation. So what I mean by rush hour is all food turns into sugar, but they turn into sugar at a different rate of time. Fats, proteins, and non-starchy vegetables take hours. So it's a trickling, it's a trickling of patients versus carbohydrates. And this is what's the big misnomer is. Carbohydrates are in starchy vegetables like potatoes and corn. Those types of foods turn into sugar in the body, even if they're not sweet, they turn into sugar in the body within 30 to 60 minutes. So it floods your system. So here you have a flood of sugar. You've got a flood of passengers coming in. If you eat a big pasta meal, you're gonna have a flood of passengers trying to get on these overstuffed trains with a conductor who hasn't had a vacation since 1992. He is tired, he's ready to unionize. And he is done. He's right. He's done. So we want to, that's how you, this ultimately, that's how you can get off these medications. These medications help the conductor. But if you really want to help the conductor, you want to make sure you have less passengers. Yeah. So eat an, <laughs> eat an avocado or a handful of nuts and yes. chew it, chew it 32 times minimum. And then it slows down this impact is it's making the right choices and something that i love in that analogy did everybody everybody got that right is there anybody who has any questions about that because that is a great analogy i really really felt that you know because <laughs> i know for me like my train has been packed my conductors is is falling asleep at the wheel <laughs> and um i know i and i know when that time is happening but now that i'm in control and you know once you part part of it is knowing what, what is this, all this chronic fatigue coming from? Where is all of this lack of um, drive coming from? Um, why do we feel fog brain and irritable? Um, could it have something to do with what we're eating? And also I wanna address the time of day we eat. 
And when, when, oh, Aaron's in the house. Um, when, hey, welcome, Aaron. Oh, God, I'm so glad you're here. You're going to want to listen to this whole thing from the beginning, Aaron. It's such a good show. I hope you're, I hope you're hearing me. Anyway, yeah, I just talking about the time of day, like, what do you think about eating breakfast and what should we be eating for breakfast? And I know you're not a dietitian and I know you don't recommend food, but being that analogy of this big pasta meal at the wrong time of ta- day, yeah. it's not like you can never eat pasta. No. But you got to know your blood sugar levels, right? Yes. So here's the deal. I yeah. am a big proponent of adjusting the amounts. So we don't want a big rush hour. So I want to say I'm a big proponent of the plate method, which is like half a plate of non-starchy vegetables. And then a, a fourth of your plate or about the size of the palm of your hand should be like a protein of some sort. So whether if you're eating meat, it's like chicken, fish, you can do beef or if you're a vegetarian like me, it's like tofu, tempeh, stuff like that. And um, carbohydrates, because I told you it creates rush hour, is the one that you want to minimize, which is the one everyone like moans and groans. Because remember, we get that dopamine release because it tastes so good. Mm-hmm. So if you take your hand, I know, guys, please don't shoot the messenger, right? You're going to cut <laughs> your hand <laughs> and whatever fits in the cup portion of your hand is one serving of carbohydrates at a meal. You can still have your pasta. I'm not saying don't eat your pasta, but you just wanna adjust the amounts. Now, when we talk about timing, the deal with the timing is this. Our bodies in the morning are are more insulin sensitive. So think of it this way. Our conductors are in a better mood in the morning. And just like anybody else towards the end of the day, we get tired and so do your conductors. So you you have most, you're most insulin sensitive in the morning and it decreases as time goes on. And the reason for this is that our body is preparing for sleep in the evening. So because our body is preparing for sleep, our conductors are not working at full capacity. So, When you ask about the best time to eat, I'm not even gonna tell you it's breakfast. Metabolically, it's actually lunchtime. The midday meal, we burn about 5% more calories midday. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing I would recommend for people, one of the best adjustments is to have your biggest meal at lunch and a lighter dinner. And if you're going to have a carbohydrate, like, you know, I was telling you like the, like the portion size of the carbohydrates, if you move that, you know, like try to keep the carbohydrate portion even smaller than that at dinner, you're really even going to do yourself even more benefits. And not only that, you'll have less brain fog and you'll also have, you'll lose some weight if that's what you're interested in. And, and it's just the best time to eat is then, and your conductors are, they're, they're raring to go at noon. They're happy midday. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love what you're saying. And this really, and, and it's great because your your family is from India and, and, and practice Ayurvedic medicine. And then Stella Vera Kilcher, who is an Ayurvedic um, practitioner, and we had her husband, who's a biological dentist, come on the show. And Stella Vera was, the way she put it that I absolutely love, and we can put Stella Vera Kilcher's episode in the chat. But what she talked about is, is you eat with the sun. You know, when the sun rises, you eat a little. And then when the sun's brightest, that's when you're burning. Think of this sun is heating you up. And then as the sun goes down, you're eating less. 
And so that's just a great, just a great visual for me. You know, you get up in the morning at six in the morning and the sun isn't up yet. Well, maybe just have some hot lemon and water until that sun comes up before you start putting something or warm, warm lemon water. You know, just don't start packing and well, it's breakfast time, I'm gonna eat, you know, well, just wait the, the longer I, I intermittent fasting too and and diabetes that was one of the questions i wanted to ask you like there's so much controversy about intermittent fasting or fasting in general how do you see that affecting somebody who with blood sugar issues like i i'm i'm leery of 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 not eating like or getting hypoglycemic you know yeah listen i think you have to listen to your own body and i want to preface this with you, you want to make sure, because low blood sugars are actually way more dangerous than very high ones. High blood sugars for long amounts of time is dangerous, but low blood sugars at any point is, is dangerous because you can go into a coma, it can cause, like, it can cause um, you to die. So we do, you need sugar in your body. Remember, it, that's how we have energy to do things. So right. we want to make sure that our blood sugars are stable. If you have the ability to keep your blood sugar stable, I am all for some type of fasting and I'll tell you why. This is a great question. You don't need to do intermittent fasting, like, although it, I do think that that's helpful and it, it helps in a lot of ways, but I just wanna talk about just a simple 12 hour fast. And the reason behind this is, is for this. A 12 hours is what our body needs because we get toxins accumulated throughout our, our body from what we ingest all day long and from what's in the system and you'd refer to all that same. So we have all these toxins and our body has a natural way of getting rid of toxins, but our body does this at night, especially for our brain. We want to give our body time to get rid of all the toxins from our brain. So I recommend a 12 hour fast, meaning you stop eating at 8 p.m. and you do not put uh, water as an exception and then you can eat it again or break your fast or do breakfast at 8 a.m. But at least 12 hours to give your body time so it doesn't send all its resources to your stomach to digest, but but it to like give your brain an opportunity to like clear out all the toxins. So I hope that kind of helped answer the question. And if you can tolerate intermittent fasting, I think it's great. Uh, we don't want to do it for people whose blood sugars like do this because yeah. that's we don't you don't want those low, low blood sugars but if you're able to check your blood sugars before you go to bed and they're between 100 and 140 you know just check them in the morning as long as it's above 80 like you're good you're good and how do you um, suggest the best way to test your sugar your blood sugar so you can either do like a con continuous glucose monitor if your insurance pays for it, or you can do like a, just a glucometer where you have to like poke your finger, which does hurt and, and do it. But the best times to check your sugar, um, there are a few times and it depends on what you're looking for. So there's two things I wanna bring up. Blood sugar testing, one thing you wanna keep in mind with blood sugar testing, and I'll get into the levels that you want and when to check here in a second, but I wanna point out that it is a point in time. It's, it's like taking a snapshot. It's taking a picture of what your blood sugars are at one moment in time. A lot of us go to the doctor and when we're diagnosed with, um, with diabetes or pre-diabetes, it has to do with a level called an A1C. Right. And that lab is a, it's not a snapshot, it's a big picture. It's an average of what's been going on in the last three months. So 
we are talking about, so if you wanna have an impact on your A1C, you wanna have a good idea of what's happening throughout the day because a blood sugar is only a snapshot. So if you only test in the morning, that might be great if your blood sugars are in the morning. They should be between 80 and 130, by the way, when you're fasting before a meal. So your A1C or what no, should I'm be? I'm sorry, your blood sugars should All be right. between 80 and 130 in the morning. But what I will warn you is this, like, let's say you decide to eat in, a, like, let's say it's in, it's where it's supposed to be in the morning, but you decide not to check for the rest of the day, which is fine for some people. But if you go back and your A1C super high and you're like, well, wait a minute, my number was fine every morning. What could be happening is that your blood sugars are rising in the day. So it's like I said, cause it's only a snapshot. So one to two hours after you eat, your blood sugars should be less than 180. They're gonna rise a little bit. You don't want them, you know, like it's 80 to 130 when you're fasting and then less than 180, one to two hours after you eat. And I'm very particular about that number. Like I'm very particular about the one to two hours. Anything after two hours is you, you waited too long to test and it's not really gonna be as great information but you want your blood sugars after one to two hours after a meal to be between less than 180. And when you go to bed, the blood sugar range should be all close to like 100 to 140. So those are the ranges. Now, if I, if I have diabetes, the thing is I would be testing during different times of the day. Um, to, because like I said, that A1C is a snap is a, is a big picture. So you might be fine every morning, but you don't know what's happening for the rest of the day. It might be rising. And so then your number comes back like higher and then you're like, well, what happened? It's because so it's it's better to know what's happening throughout the day. I, yeah. Please ask me questions because I feel like I want to make sure that I explain that correctly. Yeah, I want to make sure everybody gets that because that is a little complicated whenever I get into numbers. Um, but I feel like you're making a lot of sense and it's just teaching people how to manage and to monitor that you're you're talking about using this glue coat this this the little pin and just checking and it, it, it automatically reads that and so what you're saying is you want to be um in the morning you want to be um below 180 right in, in the morning fasting it should be between 80 and 130. 80 and, one, and, be, and when you go to bed too, right? And when you go to bed, it should be around 100 to 140. Okay. So a little higher, a little yeah, higher. It's okay you, for it to be a little higher then. Yeah. And, and then you never want it to go past 180 because then no. your blood sugar is way too high and you want to do that two hours after you test in the morning so that it doesn't go out of control and the conductor, you got to kick it in the butt or something to yeah. keep things so, moving so along. Yeah, right. so your conductor, yeah. here's the thing. So we wanna make sure we don't overwhelm our conductor. And the way to do that is if we test one to two hours after the meal, if your numbers are above 180, then yeah. then you're con you've just kicked your conductor's butt. Like yeah. he is, he's real upset with you. And yeah. it's time to make some adjustments. So it's like, we gotta, you know, so that's, this is great feedback. So yeah. a lot of people get so fixated on the numbers the thing is, is the numbers are there as feedback. It's yeah. like, okay, what did I have in my meal that maybe caused this, like I need to make an adjustment to my meal. It spikes. It spiked. 
And sometimes people don't even realize it, but like things like their spices, like if you look at your taco seasoning, there's sugar. Yeah. Right? There's so much hidden sugar. That's there's a lot really of good. Sugar. Pasta sauce, ketchup, peanut butter, mm. lots of hidden sugar. So the thing is, is this is great feedback because let's say you decide to have like some kind of pasta, like not a pasta dish, but let's say you make zucchini noodle and you put a pasta sauce on there and then all of a sudden your blood sugars are super high and you're like, wait a minute, I had my protein, I barely had any carbs, like what happened here? And it's like, that that's a, a cue for you to like look at what am I eating? What's happening in my body? Yeah. Like one person can have an apple and their blood sugars may not spike, but you may have an apple and that sugar from that apple may cause your blood sugars to spike. So this is why I say it's very individualized to a person and you have to pay attention to what's happening in your body. And it's, it has to do with what, where your levels are at or how badly you are, are into that type two diabetes um, that, that will. Yeah, your conductors, yeah, your conductors yeah. may be lazier or yeah. like more upset and may need a little more like, you know, negotiating with. And, and what is that number like when you go to the doctor, what is that number to tell you how burnt out your conductor is? Okay, so there's a lab called an A1C. Right. And that's, that's gonna show the blood sugars over the last three months. So your A1C, once it hits 6.5, you technically have a diagnosis for diabetes. Yeah. So it can, and the people I was working with, by the way, that were reversing their diabetes or going into remission, they, were, they weren't even referred to me unless they had a nine or above. So I was seeing people with like 14s and stuff like that. So wow. it was very bad. And when you get into those double digits, they usually will put you on insulin. Yeah, and you don't want to so, go there. You don't want, yeah, and it ha but here's the thing I will tell you. If you go to your doctor, because a lot of, remember I told you one in five people don't even know they have the diabetes. Right. If you go to your doctor and your doctor puts you on insulin, it is not a death sentence. It doesn't mean you're gonna be stuck on the insulin forever. You want to make sure that you either find someone to work with, like whether it's a nutritionist or a holistic diabetes health coach like myself, to help you Get to a place so that you can come off. And I have helped so many people come off of insulin. Yeah. It is possible. It is well, possible. You may need it for that time so that we don't, because like I remember I told you those high blood sugars for long periods of time. Yes. Double your risk of having a heart attack, a stroke, mm -hmm. you know, kidney disease, blindness. Because here's the other thing I want to tell you about blood sugars in the body. The reason this is impactful is it affects your blood vessels. And what I mean by that is your blood vessels are supposed to be pliable, like a rubber band, right? Like yeah. really easy and flexible. If you've ever seen a rubber band that you put out in the sun, what happens? Oh, fries. Yeah. Yep. It's brittle. Right. It's brittle. Touch it, it crumbles. This is what happens when we have high amounts of sugar coursing through our blood at all times. It makes our blood vessels very, very brittle and mm -hmm. fragile and we don't want that and this is why diabetes is so harmful because it affects blood vessels go everywhere by the way this is why you're more likely to have a heart attack or a stroke we mm -hmm. talk about dialysis guess what happens kidneys. little blood vessels that go to your kidneys people go blind little blood vessels that go behind your eyes we talk about amputations you're not having enough circulation in your blood guess where blood goes from blood vessels you have nerve pain guess what that is? blood vessels 
Right. All of this relates back to that. This is why this is so important to take care of. Oh, that was so good. I love that. I wish we had another hour, but we don't. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, so good. No, no, it's so good. I just, I want to get, I want to cover a couple of very, very important things that the, you, you talked about the A, A1C number. What is the, what, everybody who, who's on this call or listen to the replay, I want to challenge all of you to get your A1C level checked in the next three months. Not, not, ne not next year in the next three months. Let's see where you are. And what is that? golden number that we are all looking for where do what range do we want to be in that a1c number and why do so many doctors not bring this to our attention you know as far as the you want to be like 5.6 or below because if you're at and here's the thing if you're at like a 5.7 or above let me, it, it just means you're pre-diabetes 5.7 to 6.4 means you're pre-diabetes it is not too late you can reverse it you know this donna yeah and so but if you want to try to get towards the lower end there anything below 6.5 is a good deal you want to definitely below be below 6.5 oh now, yeah absolutely the reason your doctor may not bring this up i love doctors i know that that's probably not very popular i love a lot of my doctors they're just a different type of healer the problem is, is that we've got insurance companies coming in saying, you've only got 10 or 15 minutes. I have had doctors who have voiced so many frustrations mm -hmm. based off of their inability to help their patients the way that they want to. Yeah. And I, you know, and here's the thing, I, I don't, there are, don't, there's always like going to be a bag, bad apple in a bunch, you know, I'm not, I'm not advocating for those people, but for some of these providers, it's just a lack of time and resources. Like, because a lot of people that are coming in with diabetes have multiple issues going on, including high blood pressure, a lot, their fatty liver disease is associated with this because mm -hmm. here's the, the other thing I just want to bring up really quick, all those extra passengers, guess where they get the conductor sends them all to your liver and they get converted into fat. So this is why obesity goes hand in hand because it's like, they've got all these extra passengers and the conductor's like, ah, just send them to the liver. And then that gets turned into fat. Ooh, yeah. So that, that's why fatty liver disease, high cholesterol, all of this ties in together. So you're dealing with usually multiple conditions in a 10 or 15 minute time span. Right. And when this goes back to what I started in my reading at the very beginning, this is all tied to the industrial food complex that's making all of us or most of us think that we need to be uh, eating towards diabetes and not health. And from what um, what you're saying and what I hear, uh, Dr. Jaylena, is that really diabetes is at the crux of every chronic illness. Almost every single chronic illness has is associated with these blood vessels that we're talking about. And it's something that each of us, unless we have type one diabetes and we, we got into that earlier, there's a there's a big difference where you really aren't making those conductors or and you you have to be dependent on insulin. But this is very, very minor compared to us having control we it's only you and i who can make the decision right now to bring our a1c levels down below 6.5 which isn't really that healthy we have somebody on here who says her a1c is 4.7 and can it be too low that is a question i had for you you know i 
no, I think you're fine. I think, you know, your doctor will let you know, but I mean, it's just like, you just don't want your, like the A1C, like I said, it's an average of the three months. So if you're not having like super, like you're not waking up, like feeling like dizzy or, you know, low energy or anything like that, then I think you're fine. But I don't think like most people's A1Cs below like five point, like 5.6 and below is usually it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So can you go as low as two or one on A1C? I don't think you don't I've want... seen anyone go that low. You can't I think do just it. Like, it's like basic necessity. Like, remember I told you like really low blood sugar can be very detrimental. Very yeah. Let's... Yeah. So I don't think that that's very common, but like having it in the like four or five range is, is definitely where it's at. Yeah. So we're all going to have, I'm challenging everybody in the next three months after the holidays. This will remind you during the holidays because you're going to be coming back and we're going to have Dr. J. Lena back on the show uh, one of these days. And we're going to all be reporting our A1C levels for our own good. And it doesn't matter. There's nothing to be embarrassed with because remember, one in every 10 people that you know in, in, a, in a crowd or, or, or friends and family that you know at the Christmas table or the Hanukkah celebration is suffering with this chronic disease type two diabetes. And we all have the ability to reverse it. And I'm challenging all of us to start today. Like I started a detox a week ago because I, and, and cause I, I, and I strategically did it now. I didn't say all after the holidays. And so I'm like, I'm like doing it. And I'm That's feeling amazing. so, so amazing, so empowered, so inspired, so much more clear and fog brain. I mean, look at me, I'm on fire, but I have a question that's really, really important. Yes. You said something earlier and, 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 and I wrote, I wrote this in my, my, this week's blog too. I addressed it. This thing about low blood sugar and you know, you you also were saying this, it can be much more detrimental than you know, high, your high blood sugar. So, you know, a lot of people say, or you read that you have to give someone sugar right away. I mean, what do you prescribe or what do you recommend people do and how do we know, how does someone know in their own bodies? Cause a lot of times like I think, oh, I feel hypoglycemic Oh, my blood sugar is really low. And so what, what do you recommend people do? Because I think a lot of us run into that, especially these people who come to the show. I know Kat Haber's in the house right now. We run on empty a lot of times. We push it out and you too yourself. So, you know, and that definitely your stress, cause you were talking about earlier too, how your, your mind, your, and your emotions and your moods affect diabetes. So how do we know and what do we do when that blood sugar levels are going dangerously low? So the first thing is, is you're going to have like, pay attention to the symptoms, which is like excessive sweating, irritability, lightheadedness. You may have a headache. You, you're just going to be like excessive. You're not going to feel your best. And the minute you're not feeling well in any capacity, stop whatever you're doing and check your blood sugars. If it is 70 or below, it is too low. So you're going to mm -hmm. implement what's called the 1515 rule, which is you're going to get 15 grams of carbohydrates, and then you're gonna recheck your blood sugars in 15 minutes. 15 grams of carbohydrates looks like this. A half a glass of juice or a half a glass of regular soda, not diet soda, regular soda. 
a full glass of skim milk. Because it's higher in sugar. Because it's high in sugar. Um, three to five candies or three to five cookies or a banana. You want to get 15 grams of carbohydrates in your system right away. Boy. Once you do that, you're going to check your blood sugars 15 minutes later. Candy, huh? Candy. Can we do can we do pears and bananas? No, you want say so here's the thing because it's detrimental. This is not we don't joke, we don't play around. This is like with medicine. This, this is, is medicine. Yes, you are trying to get your sugar up immediately. Okay. So it does yeah, like under normal circumstances, am I like going around telling people to eat candy? No, but in this situation, yeah, you get your hands on some candy, get some Smarties, get some butterscotches, whatever you need to do to get that blood sugar up right away, because this is like life or death. Yeah. So um, I say you do that. And then uh, 15 minutes later, you're going to check your blood sugars. If it's still below 70, you're going to repeat this process, get 15 more grams of sugar in your body. If after that, after any point, like you check in 15 minutes and it's above 70, I want you to wait a half hour and eat a real meal. Mm. Yeah. So, and be prepared your blood sugar the following day or within a few hours, it's going to be janky, right? It's not going to, because you just, you just hijacked your body with a bunch of sugar because it was, it was you were experiencing a low. So be prepared for that. Give yourself some grace in that situation. And this is why, yes, like I heard you say, you're like run on empty because there's so many things, but diabetes is also a reminder for us that we have to take care of ourselves despite what is happening externally. Mm. We have to take care of what's happening in here first and foremost. And, and, and it's, it's hard. So I do this too. Like you overwork, you feel like, oh, I got to take care of this and that, but you have to take care of your body first. And sometimes having diabetes is a reminder that we have to take care of ourselves first. This has been the most interesting conversation I've had on this topic ever. And I'm so excited um, to share all your contact information, everything about what you're what you are about and what you're doing and how you're helping so many people. We're going to put all of that in the chat. For those of you who just came into the show or just um, uh, missed halfway through, please go back and listen to the whole show. Um, Dr. Jaylena has a wealth of knowledge. I encourage you all to reach out to her. Um, I think you offer even a free sh uh, short consultation or um, for, for people, go to her website if you have more questions. Um, a, rem a reminder too, before I ask you to do some closing words to everybody and let us know your ultimate goal for all of us, I wanna just give you a few um, housekeeping things that I wanted to share with you. Our next guest next week is Dr. Alvita Soleil. She's a Chinese medicine acupuncturist specialist doctor. Um, she's been practicing for like 30 plus years. She's brilliant. She also knows a lot about diabetes and she's going to be talking with us about prepping our body and our minds for the holidays. She's also an energetic healer and you guys are going to experience some really powerful healing through the, the metaverse here.
um, through Dr. Alvita Soleil. She is an incredible wealth of knowledge, as is Dr. Jay Lena. And I just want to thank you so much for coming. And also, I want to remind you all, as you're going into the holiday season, um, and if you want to reach out to me personally and ask and make a book a call with me, we'll put that link in the chat. I'll explain the detox that I'm doing, why I'm feeling so good, how I've already lost eight pounds and feeling um, not eight pounds of fat, but toxins. I like to say losing toxins and gaining health. That's the kind of detox I help my people with and I want to help you with as well. But I really encourage all of us to um, also a reminder to go and get that A1C blood work done and report back here in three months um, and to also enjoy the holiday season. But there's so many ways we can do that. And next week when, when we're talking with Dr. Alvita Soleil, we're going to go into prepping the body and the mind for the holidays. So we're going to be talking about things you can do um, during the course of each and every day leading up to that those feasts and 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 also that new year's resolution that we're all sort of kind of thinking about i also want to remind you so important that this holiday season to vote with your consciousness meaning your dollars and where you're spending your money on looking at everything from the food you purchase and bring into your homes to the gifts that you give yourself and to others and I'm encouraging all of you again, asking you please to consider our Ecospired by Nature site, which is, uh, we're going to put it in the chat again. Um, I thank everybody who's already purchased and was also donated to our Get uh, Get Well Gun uh, Get Well Tell GoFundMe. Tell has been working with me for uh, it's Soul to Soul for now two years, and she is um, curing herself from um, cancer. And she is doing it um, and working with me at the same time, doing my best to uh, support her. And um, we all could all use a little extra support. And that is why every single dollar and everything that I'm making right now going into uh, the holiday season is, and rather than putting those profits towards um, nature, preserving nature, it's going to the GoFundMe tell, uh, uh, get well tell, uh, project that we're working on fundraiser so I want to thank you I don't ask for much I do all of the my work is philanthropic and right now um, we're trying to all you know be in this in the spirit of giving and I really really appreciate you all clicking on that you'll see I just came out um, I'm so excited I, I I'm having so much fun you guys <laughs> gotta look at this I I came out with a whole line of these beautiful cards all on recycled paper um they're not on the uh, meredith you're gonna love these oh my god they're so gorgeous but anyway um i have prints you can get prints uh as, as low as uh twenty dollars for for print and these cards are gonna go up um uh we're gonna let people know that they can order um cards eventually but um I just want to thank you for allowing me for that little infomercial and going a little bit over time. And now, um, without any, I, I don't see any pressing questions. All I'm seeing here is that people want you to come back and they want to continue uh, this conversation. And we're so, so grateful. And I would love you to give us some parting words. What are some goals? What do you see the future of healthcare in the next five, 10 minutes, at 10 years, and how our choices can impact that? So, oh my gosh, it's loaded. Um, so, I'll just try to keep it short. Like in the next five to 10 years, I think everyone's recognizing that there are 
multiple modalities when it comes to health and recognizing how important it is to listen to your individual body as well as like not just listen to your doctor. We have so much information out there and our doctors and our pharmacists and then people out there should be treated as curators. Like they don't have all the knowledge, but they should help you like an art curator knows what to put the art on the walls. Use your healthcare professionals as a curator for the information you have, like what's important for you to know for your body. And as far as like parting words, my favorite thing to tell people is it's never too late to change because it is my personal mission that people live as the happiest and healthiest version of themselves. And I really, truly want that for all of all of you here and anyone. And, and to do that, just know it's never too late to change, to be that version of yourself. And I will hold that vision for you until you can hold it for yourself. So reach out to me and, and ask any questions or let me know if there's any way I can help you. Oh, that is so awesome. What a great opportunity for anybody or you know anybody who is um, willing and ready to get to the root cause of type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes give a shout out to this woman and i want everybody to give a high five you have a little shaka there remember to get your a1c um blood work done and to consider doing some kind of a mental physical uh detox right now as we go into the holidays and you are going to love dr albita soleil and we're going to say the show is a wrap and i want to thank you again so much dr J Joelina, uh, for all your wisdom and your time and for everybody who showed up to the show live today and um, who is listening to the replay. Many, many blessings to you during this holiday season and every day may you live soul to soul like the future matters and aloha.